Welcome to Crappy Hour Episode 4. I'm your host, Bav. Our guest today is Caroline, who's a technical product manager at Simprint. Uh, Caroline's also our first crap speaker turned podcast host. So um, if you weren't at Crap Talks 13 and miss Caroline's talk, you can find it on our website, www.craptalks.com, or on our YouTube channel. Uh, the short link is bit.ly forward slash craptube. So um, welcome, Caroline. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, thank you for inviting me. Oh, no, it's, it's our pleasure. Um, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing really well, thanks. Um, just recovering a little bit from a cold, but looking forward to Christmas and getting a well-deserved break. Oh, we're so close. It's been a bit uh, full on this year. <laughs> I think, what, seven days, 10 days to go? Oof, yeah, to just 12, day, 12 days to go. Uh, My maths is really bad. Yeah, 12 days to go. Yeah. <laughs> so what have you been up to recently? Um, so obviously, we you did the crap talk. This was back in... October, I want to say that when we when we when we saw I heard from you, um, but what have you been up to since? I think it was even earlier than that. I think it was over the summer because it was on the point where I was transitioning, or maybe had transitioned from um, where I worked previously um, to Simprints. So that involved quite a big life change. Um, not only was it a new job, but it was moving to a new city, moving up from Kent to Cambridge. So there was quite a lot of logistics to sort out in a short space of time, and it seemed pretty full on for a good month, two months. <laughs> Are you, are, you, are you settled now though so i am yes yeah you've got, you've got all your home comforts with you <laughs> yeah i've got my dog that's the most important thing <laughs> he came with me <laughs> oh, i'm glad that's, uh, yeah it's nice to, i'm sure it's nice to have him or him or her he's a he <laughs> he's a he okay i'm glad I'm, it's nice, i'm sure it's nice to have him there um so I, before we go into the conversation of the actual podcast you know we're going to be discussing the move from uh, e-commerce product management to physical product management um i thought it'd be nice to hear you know a bit about yourself your background you obviously you, you you're a technical product manager here what have you been up to you know what what's your past look like Sure. So I have been a product manager for about five or six years. Um, I joined Holiday Extras that was a travel company um, in their web team back in 2014. Um, but before that, I had been working in local government and construction. I've done I've done quite a few things over my career, but all in sort of the project manager coming into product manager space. Um, so yeah, I was with HX for about five years and then the opportunity came up to move to Simprints and it was quite alluring because I'd always wanted to kind of test my product management skills and this role wasn't just a software product, it was also a physical product. Um, so Simprints um, is a tech for dev company, works in the international development space. And our mission is to transform the way that the world fights poverty. So we build technology to radically increase transparency and effectiveness in global development. And that means making sure that every vaccine, every dollar and every public good reaches the people who need them the most. So the product that I manage is a fingerprint scanner. And there's around 1 billion people globally that don't have any form of formal identification. The things that we take for granted in our country, things like passports, driving licenses, being able to prove who we are when we say we are who we are, isn't available to people all around the world. Um, and yet identity is a fundamental human right. So what we do is in contexts where um, projects are delivering aid 
or much needed frontline services, healthcare, immunization programs, deworming programs and such like. Um, we create the means through the fingerprint scanner, capturing the fingerprint for people to be identified over um, a period of time. So um, it's really cool. Um, the mission of the company I work for now, it's its really closely in alignment with my own personal values um, around fairness and, and justice and fighting poverty. So I've, I feel very privileged, very grateful that I had the opportunity to move to this company. Uh, you mentioned um, that you wanted to test your skills as a product manager. What do you mean by that? So, Because you obviously you were a product manager at Holidays Extra. Um, so, and so, when you took this role at Simprints and you you know you mm-hmm. wanted to test your product management skills, was that is it because it was a different challenge or like what you know what what do you mean? So by that I mean not being a one-trick pony managing just one type of product. Um, what I did at Holiday Extras was arrange from launching new products like car hire and resort transfers, as in how we position those on our website and doing all of the user research around what the user need was when it came to these products. Um, I also worked in the integration space, so working with our third parties to integrate their API so that we could pull live inventory into our systems. Um, so that was a lot of around APIs, microservices, um, Um, data, event-driven architecture. Um, I wanted to prove that to myself that I could take those skills around how to define a product and launch a product and apply it to a very different context with a physical product. And what I've found so far is that largely the skill set is the same. It's just the context and the product itself that's different. Okay, well, I mean, so obviously, I, want, I do want to discuss that in a bit more details uh, around the, the differences between e-commerce, the e-commerce side of product management. I guess for people who aren't from a product background, like what you, you know, you, you mentioned you did a whole range of uh, mm-hmm. stuff before you were at Holidays Extra, and you've you've kind of transitioned from project management to product management. Maybe if you can just summarize what's what's the big difference between those two. So I think with product management, the job is never really done. There's always ways that you can optimize and refine the product to make it even more in line with what your users actually need. Whereas project management tends to have a fixed start and finish point. Um, It's a short-term assembly of people for a short-term mission um, with a clear a clear goal in sight, it might be to deliver a new piece of software, or um, in the case of construction where I worked before, it was to build a house. So there's something very tangible by way of output at the end of that process. Um, and product management, as I say, like it's never done. You can create the product, but then it's like, how do you maximize the product in a for profit context? Yeah. It can be how you continue optimizing that. Um, to generate revenue. In our context, it will be um, launching the scanner and then understanding how that's used in the field and improving um, different metrics like accuracy. Okay. So uh, it's I, never done. <laughs> right. Um, I don't think I've ever spoken to a product manager who's built a house before. So um, <laughs> you're definitely a first on that one. Um, I don't think many people can say they've done that. Uh, okay, cool. I didn't personally. Well, I know you haven't personally. I, didn't, I know you weren't there like uh, putting brick by brick together, but actually project managing that. So I guess from a project management perspective, you probably work on a lot more, um, a lot more 
bits of work or projects. Um, whereas on a product, from product management perspective, you kind of like really hone in on one uh, piece of software, one part of the site or, or app or whatever it is you're build, uh, building and really just make that as, 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 as best as you can, right? Yeah. And I think as well, like to be a product manager, you have to draw on a lot of different um, skill sets and ways of working. So sometimes I will lean back on the skills that I acquired as a project manager. Um, if you've got a deadline for releasing something, then um, some of those skills around organization and planning and understanding how different components all fit together and the dependencies between different parts of work, that definitely helps me as a product manager. So I think the two are interchangeable. There's aspects within a product manager that incorporates project management as a discipline as well. Yeah, no, I guess that makes sense. Um, I, I, I certainly could do with improving some of my own personal project management skills. I know when it comes to um, like meeting timelines and deadlines, I'm, I'm, I'm not the best at it. And I kind of like, I still have my old university approach where it's like, oh shit, we've got a, uh, I've got some coursework due, you know, in two days time and I'm literally only starting it now and I've had a month. So uh, um, no, I, I definitely could improve some of my project management skills. Um, so sort of looking at your your current role um, at Simprints, um, what are some of the biggest challenges your organization is facing and how is the product you're building helping address those challenges? I know you talked about sort of the mission of the of, 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 of the company, but I guess maybe from a product perspective, what are the biggest challenges? So we're a business to business organization. Um, and that means that our contracts are with other businesses, normally NGOs, um, charities, philanthropic organizations. And so that presents the first challenge in that as a product manager, the people that we tend to talk to most often are not the people who are on the front line. Um, our projects are run all around the world. We've got projects in Ethiopia, in Bangladesh. We've got ones kicking off in Tanzania next year. So there is like a gap between where I sit in the UK um, and where I would be seeing my product operating in its context. I think as well, when I first joined, there was there was kind of a load of assumptions that I made around our users um, I think we're very well trained in the West um, around how to interact with biometric technology. So fingerprints and facial recognition have become almost the norm. And we've been trained very well by the tech companies that have employed these methods like Google and Apple. Um, for people in our context, quite often these are it's, it's the first time they've seen a smartphone um, it's the first time that they've interacted with one. And so all of the behaviors and the training that we take for granted, um, we're, we're having to start from first principles. So the biometrics element that we're providing is helping them to deliver a service. So we work with community health workers who are on the ground providing um, the drugs and the services. But they don't have the same technical competency as a user here. Um, so that really needs to drive the design of the product to make it really super simple, um, but also take account of some of the cultural differences as well. So things like the meaning of different colors. Um, we here would know that red 
is generally a warning and means that something has gone wrong. We need to stop what we're doing. Whereas for people in some of the contexts that we work in, red has an association with the devil. Um, and there was at one point some concern around like what the scanner was actually doing. So there are cultural barriers as well around the product. And we need to be mindful of these when we're developing that. So in the product that we're launching next year, um, which is what we're currently working on, um, and another fingerprint scanner, like the second generation fingerprint scanner, um, we're actually putting capability in that we can configure the color of the LEDs. So if we encounter a context where color has a specific meaning, we can change that color and hopefully therefore increase the cultural acceptability of the product. I guess, yeah, that's that's a really good point. I, I, I pro- Whilst I know like from a CRO perspective, there's always things like changing color of buttons and all that nonsense that people talk about um, on the context of a website. I hadn't considered it from, uh, you know, if, if, if you're working different parts of the world, uh, it really can mean different things. Like we generally know here that green is good or go or red means stop or it's bad. But um, yeah, I, I guess in China, red is a color of prosperity, right? So Anyway, uh, okay, that's, that's that's really interesting. So, with all, you know, what you, you mentioned, you're on the in this, you're releasing the second product um, or the second iteration of the product. With the first one that you you guys have all built, um, how did you come about building that from 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 scratch or from start? Like you mentioned, you don't have access to the end user. Um, well, first of all, who, you know, who is the end user? Uh, so we talk about users in lots of different ways, um, but generally, user with a capital U um, is the community health worker. So it's the person on the ground administrating the health service to the person we would deem the beneficiary, so the person who's benefiting from the service. Um, and that could be, well, it's, it's people in, in these communities who are receiving the immunization. Um, so, yeah, that's the users. <laughs> and then, so kind of like just moving into the, the core part of our discussion now, um, what have you found has been the biggest difference between e-commerce product management and physical product management? So when you're developing a physical product, a hardware product, you it's it's more challenging to take an iterative approach. And so I've fallen back more on waterfall. Um, you have certain milestones to hit and at which point it becomes very difficult to iterate on the design. So the feedback cycles are longer. Um, before we embarked on the design of the second generation scanner, we had collected a lot of feedback from the front line from the first generation scanner. And so we entered into a design phase that lasted many months, um, trying to incorporate all of this and design the PCB, the printed circuit board, which sits inside the product and has all of the components on it. Um, what those components were. So there's quite a lot of inputs that go into it. And then you lock the design down before you go into developing the firmware and then placing orders with manufacturing. And manufacturing is quite a traditional industry. Um, In some places, technology is being used to really good gains like robotics. But for our product, a large part is still assembly by hand. So we need to be really, really sure that the design meets the needs of the users and lock it down before that process begins because it's really, really hard to change it after the fact. Um, And then it goes into 
the manufacturing cycle. Um, so things are produced and then when they're ready to ship, they go out and then they land in country, hopefully get through customs um, and start being used by users. And then we start getting the feedback again. And that whole process um, can take anywhere from sort of six months to 18 months. Um, we're currently on track for about, I think it's been about a year. Obviously, it started before I joined Simprints, um, but we're aiming to release the second version of this scanner in mid-February next year. Great. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, sorry, there's, there's a little taking this. I guess I've got so many questions off the back of this um, because <laughs> I'm so used, to, I'm so comfortable with the idea of e-commerce product management that, um, you know, the idea of physical product management taking six months to 18 months and, you know, you, you, you're not being able to iterate and, and, you know, redesign things that you've potentially found Holding there, like I guess there's lots of challenges with that. Um, so, I mean, are you enjoying product management uh, in, from the physical uh, from the physical aspect of it? Absolutely. Like, there's so much to learn, um, and I kind of I wear lots of different hats in my role. So we don't have scrum masters. So there's an element of bringing that to the team as well. I'm also heading up manufacturing, so I'm managing our supply chain, um, dealing with our contract electronics manufacturer. That's the main manufacturer who handles all of the procurement and assembly for us, as well as creating the PCBs. Um, so there's lots of lots of variety in what I do, which is really energizing and keeps me engaged and constantly learning. So that's really good. That's good, and then and the transition from e-commerce to product as as I guess because you said there's a lot of transferable skills that you've been able to bring to your to, to your role. Yeah. So has has it been a smooth transition, or or have have there been bumps along the way? Um, I think I think it's fair to say it hasn't been entirely smooth. Uh, when I first joined Simprints, I had ironically a massive dose of imposter syndrome. <laughs> And I know this is what I talked about in my yes, I, uh, talk. <laughs> remember? <laughs> yeah, we remember. I remember from the uh, uh, talk. that was a great talk, by the way. So if anyone is listening and they haven't seen the talk, <laughs> I do encourage you to um, to watch it because uh, I think imposter syndrome at some stage in our lives. I, I assume most people have, have come have felt it. For what you know when you're transitioning from one role to another and you're still in that early stage period. But um, yeah, I think I guess um, you know. You are you're a technical product manager now. Um, I was I, 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 before we started planning this episode. Um, I thought that I, I thought um, talking about technical product management and non-technical product management uh, would have been a good, good topic. But I, I just want to touch on something you said. You know, you were talking about all the uh, hardware bits and pieces, which um, I don't know what they are. But have you had to learn about the hardware, um, or you know how? I'm trying to ask this in a way that makes sense. <laughs> makes sense. Um, uh, do you have to be a technical product manager and know about the hardware to be able to do what you're doing? So, yeah, this is a subject that I've actually written about before as well. How technical do you need to be as a product manager? And take the technical out of the job title. I think that applies to any product manager working in any domain with any type of product. Um, for me, it's always been around essentially being able to communicate effectively with the engineering team and understanding the trade-offs that are made in developing a product, which you can't do unless you have some technical understanding of, of the domain that you work in. So previously, when it was in 
um, an e-commerce context. It was around how websites are built and things like front-end design and APIs. And I taught myself to code. And that gave me a language and points of reference when engineers were explaining concepts to me, explaining problems. We needed to make a decision on how to move forward. I was able to ask the right questions. Like It's not for me to come up with the answers. That's why we have engineers. I'm responsible for the why and the what, and they're responsible for the how. But it did help to shape the thinking if I could ask them um, the right questions to get to the right answer. Um, in the context I'm in now, yes, it's hardware, it's firmware, it's software. Um, I'm still on that learning journey. I'm not going to say after four months here, I, I know enough. I, I don't. There's still a hell of a lot more to learn in this domain. But I think it helps if I can talk about kind of how the product is built so what are the components that go into a physical product, such as the fingerprint scanner? How does everything relate to one another? Um, how does the physical product scanner relate to the Android app that we're developing? Um, and get some of those terms in, in my mind and understand what they are. And then when I'm communicating with engineers, they're explaining something to me. I'm like, right, okay, I, I understand this. So we can have a more fruitful discussion around how to develop the product. Right, okay. No, I guess that makes sense. Um, so you think just for any product managers that are listening or um, beginning their journey in product management, be it physical um, or non-physical products, um, I guess your advice would be to just take an interest in the technical aspect of whatever it is you're working on. Absolutely. I mean, product managers sit at the intersection between engineering business and the user. So if you're not investing, if you don't, if you don't know enough to feel confident in technical discussions, then you're going to miss out on kind of ways that you can leverage developing the product further. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes complete sense. Um, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you started? So, so you said, I know, I know it's only been four months in your role, but is there anything you've, you kind of think, oh, shit, I wish I'd known that at the start of my job? I think that that's a really good question. <laughs> There's so much. <laughs> um, I think to be kinder to myself, as I said, I had imposter syndrome because I joined this company and it was full of, it is full of really brilliant people who really know their staff. And I joined with no direct experience in developing a physical product or working in this context and I wanted to know everything from day one and so I put a lot of pressure on myself to read everything to ask lots of questions and asking lots of questions is great but for me it was that internal pressure to be brilliant from day one and it's okay to not know everything that's why we surround ourselves with really great teams of engineers and um, people in in the wider business as well like our partnerships team our project operations team who are the people that are on the ground um, supporting the users the community health workers to deliver the service providing training and so on they're all there to help you um, and so, yeah, I just wish I'd been a bit easier on myself <laughs> in the early days. And I think that goes like whenever you're making a big transition in life, I feel a lot of pressure to succeed from day one. But success comes over time. And as long as you keep 
keep curious, keep asking lots of questions and keep a focus on the user and why you're building the product and really internalize that. The rest eventually slots into place. You're so wise, Caroline. Um, uh, I'm not. <laughs> you really are. I'm really not. I, I, think you should, I think you should be a motivational speaker. Like I, I could I could do with someone like you every time I start a new job and just have like something like, you know, in my ear, just giving me a pep talk saying, have it's okay. Because uh, I, I completely relate to that. You know, when you start the new job, you want to know everything. You don't want to be the outsider. And, you, you know, you, you, you pray for the day where someone new starts so you're no longer the new person. Um, <laughs> at least that's what I'm like. Um, so kind of moving on to the like physical products in the wider context. Um, you know, when we when we were talking about doing this this podcast, I, I had no idea what physical product even looked like. I just, I, I just assumed that everything was software. But then I started reading about um, physical product management and, uh, and, I, and I realized actually we're surrounded by physical products all the time that have been designed, I assume, by product managers and engineer, uh, engineers and, and, you know, and, and manufacturing development processes. So things like iWatches, um, you know, headphones, you know, whatever it might be. So can you give us some, like, you know, what are some of your favorite physical products out there that, you know, you feel like have been built by a product manager at the helm? Well, I'm a big Apple fan. Uh. So... I'm actually still on the iPhone 8. <laughs> I know. My Samsung and I are silently judging you. <laughs> <laughs> it's the easiest way to divide a room of engineers, the whole Apple versus Google debate. I, I just think like it wasn't so we're on iPhone 11 now. I'm still on iPhone 8 um, because I just think it's a really great product in and of itself. And I have... I have an issue with um, changing phones every year, <laughs> but that's more from an ethical and environmental point of view. Anyway, um, I think Apple have been on this design journey. So where they started with the iPhone was actually with the iPod um, and then they they iterated on it. So although it was a physical product and they couldn't build in new capabilities into the product itself within a cycle once it had been released, like you can with software, um, over the years, they've they've developed that product and they've leveraged new technologies to make it even easier for users. So in in the last two um, phones that they've released, they've introduced facial recognition technology. Um, in the phone that I use, it's got the fingerprint button. So I think there's definitely Apple and like Steve Jobs is kind of one of my inspirations for product management. Um, the approach there like to build on what's gone before like it's just as just as valid in in physical product design and development yeah i guess when when we think about at least certainly when i think about physical product i don't think about sort of like building on before i just uh, I, I guess i just never i've never thought about physical product i always think about the software of the physical product you know i just always look at the operating system the apps um and i always see the e-commerce side of things so um uh yeah i'm um, great um so when you're building a physical product, what are the type of requirements you have taken into consideration? Well, it still comes back to the user. So in the second generation scanner we're, we're building now, um, we took feedback from the users around what I mentioned previously, the colors having different meanings to what we might assume in the West. There was feedback around how easy it was to push the on-off button that we factored in. There was feedback around the durability of the strap. So our product is handheld um, and you, there's a strap that you can put your 
hands between um, that, that keeps it together. But it's held on with an adhesive and the adhesive struggles in the environmental conditions that we deploy the product in. So the heat, the humidity, the dust, it all contributes to that adhesive eroding. So actually, um, we're going through a redesign for um, for the casing. And, and that's interesting because there's lots of different options that our designers have put on the table. Um, and as a product manager, I think um, it's always a temptation to add more or to build on what's gone there, gone before. Um, but my approach has always been to keep it simple and reduce complexity as much as possible. So um, my personal favourite out of the solutions that have been put forward is to actually remove the strap. And I think that's that's kind of a hard sell because when you ask users when there is a feature already in the product, uh, what would you think if we took that away? They're, they're going to say, well, no, don't take that away. Um, we like it. But actually seeing how the product is used in practice, um, you might find that there's a difference between what they say they want and what they actually do in reality. And you see that in software as well. Um, but with hardware, with this strap, um, I've been looking at photos and watching videos to see whether users are actually using the strap as we intend, because we have the alternative of a lanyard um, with a pin so it can attach to the bottom of the scanner, um, which they then have around their neck. And really, what's the purpose of the strap? It's to keep it secure as it's being used to prevent it dropping to the floor and being damaged as a result. So in some ways, the lanyard is serving that purpose. So, so what's what's going to happen? Like, don't you know, don't keep us in suspense. Is it coming off, or is it, uh, or, or, or is it staying on? <laughs> Uh, well, I've gone out for quotes from our supply chain um, to see how expensive each solution is, um, because in a physical product, um, obviously, you have to create that. There are molds, there are dyes, um, which is the, um, the the tool, basically, where the plastic would be injected into, and that will need some modification, um, depending on which solution we go with. Um, and it's easier to take stuff away than it is to put it in with a mold um because it's the reverse of how you actually look at the product so yeah we're just we're we're at the stage where we're getting some costs some quotes and we'll see where we go from there <laughs> never thought i'd say this but it feels like it's easier to take away from a physical product than it is to take away from a website um you talk about removing like old code or tracking uh, marketing tags on the website and you know it all hell will break loose so uh um this you know it's, it's, it's true this people is, invested so... in all of those different things that um yeah it is it is harder to take stuff away um but i'm a big believer like if you're trying to create a simple elegant product sometimes that's the best way of doing that obviously not at the expense of usability or um meeting a user need but I think um, no, quite often I've seen sense. products with feature bloat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I think most websites these days have feature bloats on them. <laughs> so this is this this part has been really interesting. Actually, I I never I never even realised that you as a physical product manager you would even have to take into consideration the strap. Like like right now when you were talking about that in my head prior to what you've just said. I was just thinking about the actual fingerprint scanner, but I guess it's, it's not just a scanner. It's the casing that it's in, um, the, uh, the way it's held, you know, the way the data is transmitted. So, um, I guess it brings us nicely onto sort of like 
maybe budget. So do you have to take cost into consideration when you're building a physical product? Like does, has someone said to you, um, uh, and uh, I've seen too many Steve Jobs um, interviews and whatnot, uh, and, and I've read his book and his movies and whatnot. Like has, has someone said to you, we need to get this smaller, cheaper, you know, all of the classic movie stuff. Like has, has that been said to you? Uh, it hasn't been said yet, but cost is definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, software is really, really cheap and easy to create. Um, yep. You have obviously the cost of hiring engineers, regardless of whether that's a software or a physical product. Um, and then on the software side, you might have um, cloud services and specific software that the guys and girls need to um, do their job. But on the physical side, you have the cost of the materials and materials come from all around the world, um, like the Far East, China, Korea, um, Japan. They're all, they're, they're kind of the epicenter of creating electronics that are used in the rest of the world in all of the consumer electronics that we we use on a day-to-day basis. Um, so there's there's the shipping of those components as well to wherever your assembly factory is. Um, there's the labor um, associated with assembly. Um, there's lots of different things that go into cost. And so I do have to keep an eye on cost. And we've just gone through the budget process actually for next year. Um, and there's you can set targets. Um, so a target of cost per unit. I know what it is now. I know where I want to get it to. And some of the levers that would influence that would be if we can reduce the manual labor element, because that's that's a high proportion of the overall cost and it's quite expensive. Um, yeah. if, if you can do that through... Um, change it sort of changing some of the design changing the way that some of the fixtures meet um so for instance our fingerprint scanner has got four four screws um if there's a way of designing those screws out of the product um, and using something that's that's quicker to assemble that can reduce labor cost so definitely like looking at what the levers are um components like maybe sourcing um from the far east rather than from europe um results in cheaper even doing assembly but a lot of this will depend on the volume that we're doing as well um and we're going through a process of scaling at the moment so um we're going to be able to access greater economies of scale um from next year on um which will really help reduce the overall cost of the product so in terms, if you don't mind me asking, and uh, if you can say, um, what type of scale are you looking at? Because I imagine when you're building for communities, so initially I thought this was going to be a fingerprint scanner that would be uh, owned by the, uh, the the people in the communities, but it's actually the the health workers within the community. So um, which I imagine shrinks the population down. So what, you know, what what are we talking about when we talk about uh, economies of scale, like in, in in hundreds of thousand units or, or into the millions of units? Like, what does that look like? So, to date, um, Simprints have been focusing on smaller projects where there's just been like 100, 200, 300, 400 beneficiaries um, and then proportionately less users and therefore less scanners. Um, 
obviously they had to adopt this until they'd achieved product market fit. Mm-hmm. Um, once they knew that there was a market for the product, then they've turned their attention to how can we get onto larger projects and, and have more impact and, and deliver services to more people. So next year, um, in fact, the, the first order that I'm going to be placing in the new year for the second generation scanner um, is greater than all of the previous orders that we've placed to date. So okay. it's, it's a massive step up. Yeah. Um, but no, we're not we're not quite at the hundreds of thousands yet, <laughs> and that that probably be curious. quite a while. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm just curious because it was, um, it's I, I like I said, I'm, I'm still blown away by this whole the physical product side of the world. I, I, I've never even considered. I think I've just worked in online for so long that um, all of the, a lot of this stuff is just like hitting me um, as like each each time you say something, it's like a light bulb moment. Like, oh shit, yeah, we have to design the strap. Oh yeah, we have to, you know, reduce the, um, take out the screws to make the uh, manufacturing process quicker. So it's ev- everything you said so far has sort of like turned a light bulb on in my head and I'm, I'm learning a lot. So as a product manager working on e-commerce, you know, you have KPIs, you have targets, um, you measure your success. Mm-hmm. How do you do that from a physical aspect? Like, how do you measure the success? How do you track, you know, what KPIs are you working towards? That's a really great question. And it's very timely because I've been working on the strategy for fingerprint, for Simprints in the last couple of weeks. And part of that is understanding what KPIs it would be useful to measure um, and then as a next stage to that is, well, how do we get the data to understand what our current performance is? And then how do we target ourselves? What should we target ourselves for? So some of the KPIs that are relevant for fingerprint are things like accuracy. Um, and accuracy is a facet of lots of different factors, um, such as the image resolution. So what um, DPI um, dots per inch the image is actually captured at um, and most commercially available sensors only offer 500 DPI, which is is it provides enough quality of an image to do adults. Um, but something that we're investigating further is how do we provide biometrics for children? Um, and children have much fainter fingerprints because they're still developing. So you need a higher resolution in order to capture good quality prints. Um, Accuracy is also impacted by the algorithms that we use for the extraction and for the matching. Um, It's impacted by the size of the data sample. It's impacted by user behavior, such as how fingers are placed on the image sensor itself, Um, whether the image sensor is clean, whether it's dirty, has it been given a wipe. Um, And in the context that we work as well, actually, the the quality of people's fingerprints. So... um, a lot of them are worn or scarred um, or even oh, missing okay. um, because we work in populations with high manual yep. workers. Um, so the things we take for granted here, again, in the West, like nice, clean fingerprints, maybe the odd bit of scarring, um, is definitely like it's more challenging in these contexts because people are working with their hands all the time. They're picking up hot pans without any sort of heat protection and that can lead to um, fingerprints becoming worn. Um, so what, what we're starting with. So accuracy is, is a very important KPI for us. Um, I'm, I'm digging into it more because the projects that we've done have been quite small to date. And so you have the law of small numbers applying there um, that can 
impact um, the accuracy. Um, the the key metric we use for accuracy is something called true positive identification rate. So it's the process would be you take the fingerprint upfront and enroll someone in a program and then when you come back to identify them you take their fingerprint again and so true positive identification rate is the measure of that person in front of me is who they say they are and we've managed to identify them um, we have the flip side of that which is um, around having false positives um, and true negatives as well so that's where um, the person in front of us is who they say they are but we can't find them in the system it doesn't return or we incorrectly match a fingerprint with the wrong person okay so I, I- I think maybe I've just seen one too many um, detective movies. I just I assumed <laughs> fingerprints is one of those things that you can't really get wrong. So uh, I'm, clearly, I'm wrong. Um, I'm just going to move on to the next next section. So, um, I, which was around? I, well, it's only because uh, I think we can keep going into um, more and more KPIs. But it seems like you're kind of like your primary KPI, which every every site or product or you know, app or company has, um, you know, every, every, they, they have a golden met- metric, the KPI that they, that they're working mm-hmm. towards. In most cases, it's going to be orders or sales or revenue. Um, in the cases of when, you know, if you're doing an app, it's going to be app downloads and, you know, usage and all that stuff. So, um, it's, it feels like accuracy is the, is, is your sort of like golden KPI. Yeah, for me, it's fingerprint PM, definitely. That's, that's the golden one. Thinking about the kind of like the process of, physical product management do you still go through the same processes as, as if you would if you're working on the e-commerce side of things so like discovery sprint cycles planning like user research um data analysis like do you still have all of those similar processes yeah definitely for for discovery and for kind of exploring design got a really good example where um the fingerprint scanner has to pair over Bluetooth with the phone um, and the phone is what controls the behavior of the scanner via the app. Um, So we're going through a process of discovery because we had some user feedback that said pairing is really, really difficult. Um, You have everybody sitting in a room together, maybe 20 or 30 people, and they're all trying to pair to the right scanner. And of course, all of the others come up. (laughs) Yeah, of course. And so it's problematic identifying which one is which. Um, so that's like a piece of user feedback that we've taken on board into designing the second generation scanner. Um, but there's lots of different ways that we can solve this. And so in our current sprint, we are investigating like whether NFC chips provide um, a suitable solution. Um, these are little chips that you can program with information. And, um, and in our case, it would be with the MAC address, which for a physical product is the equivalent of the IP address that you would have on um, the internet. So it's it's the unique address for that product. Um, you can program that onto the NFC chip. And then what we're doing is understanding, well, where's the best place to um, put that within the casing so that it comes within range, that it makes sense, it's intuitive from a user's perspective to tap them together at that particular point. So there's there's discovery and design that we go through. Um, and then obviously, once we've bottomed that out, we'll be putting that into um, the manufacturing and assembling process um, as a step that needs to go in there. So developing it. And then when it's released next year, it will be field tested. Okay. So 
we definitely use the same processes just have to adapt like how you think about things and it might be that things take a bit longer um between designing something and then getting the feedback on whether that solution's worked or not but it's it's still the same principles Okay. So I guess this is what you were referring to when you talked about in, in, in like transferable skills from your previous roles onto, into, into this into this role. Um, mm-hmm. So when you're looking at the data, obviously you're capturing individual levels of light. Is that data stored um, with the local community? Do you guys have access to all of this data you're collecting about all these people? Um, I know obviously in the UK we, we, we talk about GDPR and whatnot. So um, mm. is there an ethical element of this that you have to take into consideration when you're building a product like this um and you know who who owns that data i guess there absolutely is an ethical element and data privacy and data security are hot topics in our industry and simprints is actually market leading on this so being a uk-based company we are subject to gdpr which is the highest form of privacy legislation in the entire world and we really pride ourselves on um how how we place that at the heart of what we do so when we're capturing fingerprints we have to seek consent from the individual um, whose fingerprint we're taking and if they refuse then they don't have the biometric service they can still receive the service there is like um there is an alternative way of, of delivering that but absolutely like consent informed consent as well so people understand what they are what they are giving consent for when they say yes I'm happy for you to take my fingerprints um, is really important and that can be quite a novel concept in the context that we're working in um, and then when we capture the fingerprint how we store that and how we process that um, is governed very much by GDPR so depending on whether a we're a data controller or a data processor determines what we can actually do with that data. And so in our databases, um, we have to segment data. Um, We have to store it separately. Um, There's big conversations within international development at the moment about local hosting versus cloud-based services. So the countries that we work with, such as Ethiopia, um, really obviously like believe in in their own sovereignty and there is skepticism around um having data for their citizens stored in other countries particularly america um where there may be political tensions between countries so it's it's a discussion that we're having on kind of an international level um with with people in in the ministry of health um in some of these countries that we work in um to find out what what the solution is um so absolutely data is data is a hot topic um and within the company as well we've we've put in loads of processes to safeguard the use of that data um and how we store it as well so um there's we've actually got a director of data privacy um within the company um and he is kind of leading the way on on t- like telling us how we need to be um interacting with data <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, I, I, it's very, very sensitive. It's personally identifiable information. And unlike um, biographical data, such as your name um, or where you live, um, if, if your biometric data falls into the wrong hands or is improperly used, um, that, that doesn't change. That, that um, biometric data is what you have for life. 
you don't have the opportunity to change it. So um, if it falls into the wrong hands, that can have really serious repercussions. And it's great to hear that you guys are um, taking all of this into consideration. Um, and I, I, yeah, I guess in the UK, we're very much wary of um, use of our data. You know, we, we've been trained to think about how our data has been used, you know, um, from an election perspective, right, you know, right down to the, the ads we see on the website. Um, and I guess out there um, in, in, in the communities you're, you're looking at, um, if, if it falls into hands of the government or things like that, can, I guess there's always wrong um, wrongful uses of it that could, that could occur. So it's, it's good to hear that mm-hmm. there is an ethical element of it that's been t- that's being taken into consideration whilst developing um, this, this 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 product that you're making. Um, so, just in the interest of time, one final I guess one final question about uh, Simprints and, and and your role in, in product management is um, when do you know it's done? I mean, I know you mentioned that product manager's job is to continuously iterate and improve. You know, how how, how do you how does that how does finger aside from getting more and more accurate? How does the how does the product get finished or, and do you guys think you'll build something else in the future to, that will replace fingerprint scanning? I suppose it depends on your definition of done <laughs> to turn it around. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. I mean- well, I work in data mostly. So um, for me, I, I, I live by the principle of uh, if 80, the 80, 20 rule, like I'm happy for it to be 80% done and I'm, I'm probably not going to bother with the last 20% of it. If it's going to take a hell of a long time to deliver. Yeah, I I totally agree with the 80/20 principle because you can you can spend too long perfecting a product before you get it out into the hands of the users and you're never really going to know how it performs until you get that real user feedback. I think um the way we approach it is obviously we start with um, KPIs and user feedback and we might set targets and and we try and develop against those. Um but a product on the shelf is nowhere near as valuable as a product in the hands of a user. Um, and that's that's the goal that we should always be striving towards. Again, that's so insightful. Like, it's honestly, Cameron, <laughs> you're so, like, everything you've said today has been so deep. And just, um, I, I really feel like you should be out there, like, mentoring and spreading the word of, like, um, you know, the user and, you know, being ad- really advocating for, um, you know, why work for one company when you can help everyone, you know? <laughs> that's very kind of <laughs> <laughs> honestly I'm, I'm, I'm genuine I'm, I'm genuinely serious it's been everything you said has been such a breath of fresh air um so I guess just to wrap up on um this podcast one of the things we like to ask um our our, our guests is what's the most in- interesting thing you've read seen or heard recently Ooh. and it doesn't have to be within the industry this could be outside you know tell us you know something that tells us a okay. bit about you um so I'm actually studying part-time with the University of Oxford Side Business School for a women's leadership development program. And it's a six-week program. And I'm only like I've just done the first week and we're going into the second week. But the first week was all about um, self-reflection on who I am as a leader and like what my crucible moments were when I realized that I was a leader. Um, and there's been some really interesting um, resources that I've read as part of that, but also self-reflection. And I think 
it's easy for product managers because we've got manager in the title to think we're not leaders. <laughs> um, but some of my crucible moments were when I stepped into product management and I was leading a team. The difference between management and leadership, management is all about controlling for outcomes and coordination and leadership is about change and and helping people navigate through uncertainty and I think as a product manager like as I said we've got manager in the title but we are definitely leaders as well Um, you're developing products to meet user expectations and needs and you're leading a team helping them navigate through the quagmire of user feedback and business expectations and maybe market uncertainty and that takes that takes a lot of strength and skill Um, so definitely that course is is teaching me a lot showing me a lot causing me to reflect a lot on career defining moments and what my leadership style is okay amazing and is there anything you want to pitch for your like a Twitter account or a blog or is there, you know is there anything you want to pitch for our audience? So Simprints is all over social media. Uh, we have our own Twitter account. Um, you can follow us there. You can follow us on LinkedIn. We're currently recruiting for a technical product manager for cloud and analytics. So if you're interested in joining us on this absolutely amazing mission to transform the way that the world fights poverty, then please look at our LinkedIn profile. We've posted the job there or reach out to me and I'll happily chat through what the role is actually about. Amazing. And what about yourself? Um, how, how can someone who's heard this podcast get in touch with you, ask questions um, and ask for your guidance? So I'm happy for people to reach out to me on Twitter. My handle is Caroline E.R. Clark, uh, without any at the end. Um, or you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm very happy to chat through anything product management with people um, and give advice where I can be useful. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Caroline, for joining us today. Um, it's 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 been a really interesting talk and I, I feel like it could have gone on for another hour or two um, easily without... <laughs> uh, I had I actually skipped a handful of questions just because in the, uh, I was trying to keep us within our time limits. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Bav. Oh, that's okay. It's my pleasure. Um, so now you've now you've done a crap talk. You've done a podcast. Um, I, I don't know what else is left. Uh, maybe a blog post. I might I might ask you to write. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, but <laughs> thank you to everyone who's listened to this podcast. Um, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Uh, you can learn more at craptalks.com. Um, the videos from all of our events are on our on our YouTube channel. So uh, the short link there again is bit.live forward slash craptube. You can also join us on our Slack community to ask questions about product analytics, conversion optimization, uh, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, so um, thank you so much, Caroline. And we'll see you all on the next episode. Thanks, everybody. Cheers. Bye. Crappy out.